right, so 2 Peter chapter number t- 1, rather, is where we're going to start. We're just going to read a couple of verses here, um, and then we're going to dive into this. So 2 Peter chapter number 1, look down at verse number 18. It says, In this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth into a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The most important part of uh, building a house, and obviously Rick would know this better than, than I would, but is the foundation that's inlaid, uh, that's laid, the integrity of the walls and the roof, and everything else is dependent upon the foundation. It's a time-consuming process. In many cases, you have to, before you pour the actual concrete, or before you pour the slab, uh, uh, you first have to dig down, compact, and then bring more dirt in, compact again, and more compacting, more compacting. And finally, the day comes when the concrete truck arrives, and you begin to pour that foundation for the house uh, and much care is given and takes place during that process to make sure things are even, smooth, everything's correct. Make sure that there's no voids that are there because if there's any voids in the, uh, in the concrete, there will be instability in the house. And then finally, after some time has passed, it's been given time to settle, the foundation is complete, and you can begin to build upon it. So last week we saw that the base of which we build our faith upon is the doctrine of Christ. We talked about that last night, uh, last week as we saw Christ giving the illustration about the, the man building the house upon the sand and building upon the, the rock and how we saw that it was from the doctrine that that is what the foundation really is that everything else is, is built upon. But the place that we learn these doctrines is found in a compilation of books called the Bible. So what is bibliology? Well, we talked about it last week. It's the study of the Bible. The study of the Bible. Uh, bibliology in God's Word is the foundation on which all the doctrines we study is built upon. And so, obviously, doctrine is our, is our core, but to understand doctrine, we have to understand bibliology, the study of God's Word. It's the key that, we, uh, that uh, as we come to the study, uh, that we remove uh, presuppositions and predetermined uh, ideas about things and allow the Bible to speak for itself, to study the Scriptures, the history around it, and to gain a foundation that's firm, secure, and without voids. And so, because of that, just like when you lay a foundation for a house, it takes a great amount of time to do. Well, just in the same way, we're going to actually take a few weeks to work through this matter of bibliology because we want to make sure that it is firm, that it's secure, and we don't have voids. There's nothing worse than somebody coming along and saying, well, what about this? And you're sitting there going, oh, wait, I've never thought about that, or I've never thought about those things that way. And suddenly you realize there's a void in your beliefs of the Scripture and what you believe about God's Word. And so, uh, as the psalmist so eloquently put it, in Psalm 11, verse number 3, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And in the same way, if the foundation of God's word is destroyed in our heart, uh, we want to make sure that we get it nailed down so that that doesn't happen. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll dive into God's word in a deeper way than we ever have before. I'm excited about this. We're going to do some things, and uh, we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. I think at some point we're actually going to uh, let you guys interpret 
the scriptures directly from the Greek. It's going to be great. So uh, you get to do it on your own. It's going to be fun. It'll be, uh, it'll be a good time. Uh, but uh, So let's, let's fill the spaces where voids might have once dwelt and let's boldly be able to stand upon what we know as the more sure word of prophecy. So as we start uh, in the study of, of um, bibliology, the first thing that we're going to talk about are, are important terms, important terms that are keys to understanding the scriptures, so important terms. One of the key parts of studying bibliology are the terms that are used and are associated with it. So the first term that we're going to talk about is the term revelation. Revelation. Now we're not talking about revelations like the book of Revelation. Uh, we're talking about revelation. Okay, What is revelation? It's God communicating previously unknown truth to man. God communicating previously unknown truth to man. And we'll see this in Romans chapter number 16. So if you have your Bible and you want to flip over there, you sure can. Uh, that way you can see this. Romans chapter number 16. And we're going to look at two verses here as we think about revelation and what it is, what it means, and how we see it in the scriptures. So Revelation chapter number 16, verse number 25 says this, Now to him that is of a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Here we see what revelation is. It is previously unknown truth to man. God revealing it. And that's exactly what he says that he's done here. That he's revealing something. He's manifesting through the scriptures, by the scriptures, something that was previously unknown or unknowable. Now, there's two types of revelation that we think of. First of all, we think of general revelation. General revelation. That's, that's the first one, your first blank there. General revelation. What is that? Well, it's God revealing himself to mankind. And there's various ways that, that that's done when it comes to general revelation. First of all, creation. Creation. Uh, you'll, you'll see that there. Romans chapter number 1, verse number 20. You can flip over there if you'd like. Romans chapter number 1, verse number 20. We find general revelation in, in the matter of creation. Okay, so gen Romans chapter number 1, verse number 20, says this, For the invisible things, or the unknowable things of him, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What is he saying here? He's saying that we are able to understand God. We're able to see God through creation. Verse number 19 says, Because that which was may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. How did he do it? Well, through creation. We can just look. That's why uh, somebody that's over in Africa that doesn't maybe doesn't have the word of God, or some, some tribe somewhere doesn't have the word of God, the creation around them uh, makes them without excuse because they can look and see that this came from somewhere. It didn't just, it wasn't just always here. It appeared from somewhere. So obviously there must be a creator. And so creation evidences God. That's, that's revelation, general revelation, creation. Conscience is another way that we, we know. Uh, that's in Romans chapter number 2, so just like a page over. In Romans chapter number 2, verse number 14, says this, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their, their conscience 
also bearing witness in their thoughts and the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. What is this saying? Well, it's telling us, it says, okay, uh, so the Jews have the law and they do the things that are contained in the law because they have the law. But he says the Gentiles or, or those that don't have the law, isn't it amazing how they do the things that are contained in the law even though they don't have the law? Uh, for example, you, you go to Africa, and, uh, you know, I, we're picking on Africa tonight. You go to Africa, and you go to one of the tribes, right? And uh, the, the chief's got his wife. You know, his, his, you know, maybe he's got many wives, you know, but he's got his wife there. If somebody comes along and takes his wife as their own, he's probably going to die, okay? That's the way that it works in, in, in the tribal nation. Why? Because they have a law unto themselves. Even though they don't have the Bible that says, you know, you should only have one wife or this should be your wife, uh, they, they have a law unto themselves that says, no, you should not do that. Uh, that's not right. Um, you go out and, 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 and they go in and maybe somebody within the tribe murders someone else. There's consequences for that action. What is that? That's natural law. And the Bible tells us that it's a conscience in verse number 15 that's written on their hearts. That God has written it on their hearts that they know that there is a right and there is a wrong. So we see in general revelation, creation, conscience. Um, and then we see in vocal communication, okay? This is, what is this? Well, this is, for example, God revealed himself to Moses out of the burning bush. That was pretty clear. God, God made it pretty obvious to him. I wish, I wish that it still worked that way. You know, that would be nice. But, that, you know, we see that in the scriptures, that God revealed himself that way to Moses through, through spoken word. We see it through dreams and visions in the scriptures. Uh, you can look at the life of Joseph. Joseph had a dream that one day his family was going to bow down before him. Uh, you can look through, and, and there were visions that were given. Uh, uh, Joseph, uh, in the New Testament, was given a vision from God not to, not to go back to their hometown because uh, 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 Herod was going to kill all the babies, and so he knew that he shouldn't go back there. The visions that God would give, dreams that God would give, that would reveal truths that were previously unknown or unknowable. The problem with general revelation alone is that it will lead you to know that there is a God, but you need special revelation to understand who he is. So that's, that's, that's the key here, is, is people can, can, like we said, with creation, people can look out and they see that there is a God, but you need special revelation to understand who he is. So what is special revelation? Well, it's God stepping into the natural flow of history to reveal himself and his word to man. So this is, this is the key. He's done this primarily or exclusively, I guess we could say, in the Bible. Okay, that's, that's the key, through the, the word of God. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And you flip over to 2, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Uh, he, he mentions this. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16. Familiar verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. So it, it's, it's by God's word that God has spoken these things. That that's God's word is a, a revelation, is a special revelation that teaches us things, that, that gives us correction, reproof, instruction, right? Uh, doctrine. It, God's word is a special revelation. Another special revelation is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ coming to this earth himself. John chapter number one. We, we know these verses. These are familiar verses. But once again, we see God intervening in history, in, in the natural flow of history, 
story to show himself uh, to mankind. So John chapter number 1, verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything that was made that was made. And it was life, and the life was the light of men. And then we come down to verse number 14, and it says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this? This is Jesus Christ coming to this earth, revealing that he is God, uh, being God in the flesh. Hebrews chapter number 1. Some great passages on the deity of Christ. One is John 1, another one's Colossians 1, and another one's Hebrews chapter number 1. So Hebrews chapter number 1. Flip over there if you want Hebrews chapter number 1. And we see this again. Jesus Christ being revealed in verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so we see Jesus Christ being that, that the one that is used to Go forward to, to give his word, to speak things that were previously unknown or unknowable, to declare things. Uh, until Jesus came on the scene, they didn't know anything about uh, the tribulation period. They didn't know anything about uh, the, the, the rapture of the church. That was something that wasn't understood, that was unknowable. Um, and Jesus comes on the scene, and, and then all of a sudden things start to change in the way that he talks about things. And, and he really throws a, throws a kink into what they believe and, and the way people are, are viewing things. Uh, Jesus is teaching them something that they couldn't understand themselves. And then next we see that he did it through the prophets as well. And we see that once again in Hebrews 1.1. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past, and to the fathers by the prophets. God used the prophets uh, again to in the Old Testament to proclaim the truths, proclaim things that were unknown or unknowable. Um, those were key things that he used. Um, next, he uses the Holy Spirit. Or finally, he uses the Holy Spirit. So we have the, the Word of God. We have Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, that's a special revelation. We, we have uh, the, the prophets that were used to, to share special revelation. And then we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is used, and that's in John chapter number 14 and John chapter number 16. John chapter number 14, just a couple of verses that we'll, we'll mention here. John 14, verse number 16 and 17. John 14, 16 and 17. He says it like this, and I will pray, Jesus is speaking here, I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter with a capital C, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it it, uh, it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but he, ye know him, for he dwelleth in you, and he shall be in you. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is given. Uh, verse number uh, 16 and 17 tells us that the Holy Spirit is given. He's another comforter. He's going to lead them into all truth and teach them things that they would not have previously known. And then as we jump over to uh, verse number, chapter number 16, verse number 13 of John, uh, we see that the Bible tells us, what he does in, in, in John chapter number 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever ye shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so here the Holy Spirit is giving us special revelation of the things that uh, we're going to learn about Christ. Okay, so we got uh, re uh, uh, a revelation uh, is the first thing um, that, that we see, and which it's primarily shown to us, special revelation shown to us through the scriptures. Next word, inspiration. Inspiration. You'll find that one there. Uh, it's the Greek word, theonoustos. It literally means God 
breathed. Inspiration. Inspiration. God breathed. We find that again in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's interesting because whenever it talks about God breathed, it's, it's not, the, the focus is on what he breathed into. And we've mentioned before, God breathed into two different things. The uh, Old Testament in Genesis tells us that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And uh, man became a living soul. But then he breathed into a second thing, and that is the word of God. Uh, The words of God are God-breathed. That's why they're alive. That's why they speak to us, and God uses them. So we see inspiration. We find evidence of Old Testament inspiration in Jeremiah chapter number 30. Jeremiah chapter number 30. You can flip over there. Oftentimes we don't think about inspiration mentioned in the Old Testament, but it's, it's there. Uh, Jeremiah chapter number 30, verse number 1. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 30, verse number 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. Here we have the the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah and telling him what to write. It is breathed by God. It's spoken by God. This this idea, this Old Testament uh, prophecy that's that's God-breathed, inspiration of God, is confirmed in the book of Acts. I know we're flipping back and forth here, but Acts chapter number 1. We find this idea confirmed. Acts chapter number 1. Next one, verse number 16. The Bible says this, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Here Peter's speaking. And, uh, and, and he stands up and he says, Listen, the Holy Spirit spoke through David. Uh, God spoke through David. It's, it's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It's confirmed there. Uh, we see that it took place in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 30, and we see it confirmed in Acts chapter number 1. In the New Testament, evidence is found in numerous locations, uh, one of which is 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Flip over there real quick. This is a good one to, to go through. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13. <clears throat> for this cause, also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, with effectually worketh also in you that believe. He says the words that we said to you, they weren't man's words. They weren't just, just from us. No, no, no. They were the, the very words of of God. They were God-breathed, God-spoken. That's what they were. Uh, we see this again in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 21. We've already mentioned this verse. It's where we started tonight, that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so, so we see the inspiration of God, that it wasn't just man writing down various words throughout the scriptures, but it was the Holy Ghost moving and working all the way back from the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, moving and working and various men using them to pen the scriptures that we have before us, the words of God. Next, we have preservation. Preservation. 
God preserving his word to every generation. Preservation. There's a lot of places that we can go for this. There's a ton of scriptures that deal with preservation. We'll start in Psalm chapter number 12. Probably one of the more familiar verses when we think about the preservation of God's word. Psalm chapter number 12, dealing with preservation. The Bible tells us in in verse number 6, in Psalm chapter number 12, the words of the Lord are pure words, he says. A silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And he says this, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. He's going to preserve his words. The words of God are going to be preserved. In Matthew 24, verse 35, familiar verse, and this is said many times through the scripture, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, he says. As we're in Psalm right now, you can flip over to Psalm 119. Uh, we'll spend a lot of time there here, here in just a few minutes whenever we get, uh, continue on. But Psalm chapter number 119, verse number 152, says this, Concerning thy testimonies, or the scriptures, I'm known, known, known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Forever. There we go. I mean, it's, it's, it's very clear that it's forever. It's not just for a time. Um, but uh, God, has, God has preserved them. He's kept them um, forever as we think about preservation. In Psalm chapter number 119, verse number 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. It's there and it's not going anywhere. In 1 Peter, as we've, we've kind of spent a little bit of time in 1 Peter already, but 1 Peter chapter number 1, as we think about this matter of preservation. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 23. The Bible says this, Being born again not of corruptible seeds, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached Unto you. That was First Peter chapter number one, verses twenty-three through twenty-five. So we see that God promises to preserve His word for every generation, for every person, for for every generation that that His word is going to be um, preserved throughout history. Next, the next word is canonization. The next term, canonization. So canon, and then ization. <laughs> canonization. Canonization. This is the divinely authorized collection of books that God has given to govern His people. Okay, so so the question would be, well, why why do we have the books that we have called the Bible? Okay, well, the Bible is composed of sixty six individual letters. Okay, sixty six individual letters. It was written by forty different authors covering a span of about 4,000 years of history, and it took about 1,500 years for those authors to write it. So obviously Moses was not there whenever God created the heaven and the earth. 
Moses knew and wrote those things. We know that, that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wasn't there in Genesis, okay? Uh, we, we know that he didn't come on the scene until Exodus. And so, but he wrote the, the he recorded for us the, the book of Genesis. And so it covers a, a total span of about 4,000 years of history, but it was written for over a period of about 1,500 years. They've been combined together into one book that we call the Bible. But how did we end up with 66 books and not others? Why were other books not included? Why is the Apocrypha not included? Uh, the, the original, uh, sometimes we talk about you know, the original 1611 King James Bible and things like that. Well, the original 1611 King James Bible included the Apocrypha. Why do we not have it anymore? Uh, why do we not have the, the, some of the other books? The, the book of Thomas included in here. Why do we not have the, the book of Judas uh, included in here? Why, why do we not have uh, some of these other books that, that quote-unquote, uh, are, are books that were written around the same time uh, as, as the Bible was written in the books that we have in the Bible, why are they not included? What was the determining factor? Okay, well, criteria for the Old Testament canon. Let's, let's talk about that. Criteria for the Old Testament canon. Well, first of all, there was the question of, was it written, edited, or endorsed by a prophet? Okay, uh, there are certain requirements of a prophet that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, they had to meet certain certain levels in Deuteronomy. It ta- talks about this. Uh, they they had to they had to meet certain requirements to be called a prophet. And so, was it written, endorsed, or written uh, or edited by a prophet? Is it historically accurate? This is one of the reasons that the Apocrypha is not included in the Bible is because there are mistakes that are historically inaccurate. They are not correct. Okay, does it indicate divine authorship? Does, does somebody say in there that, hey, these are the words of God in there? Is God mentioned in the book? And that's key. And is there a relationship between the human author and God? Is there a relationship between the human author and God? David demonstrated his writing was by inspiration of God in 2 Samuel 23, verse number 2. Let's flip over there. 2 Samuel chapter number 23. Verse number two, it's the, the first you get into those ones and twos, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, uh, second Samuel chapter number 23. We, we see that, that David mentions that, uh, that he was inspired by God. Obviously, we've, we've already seen that, um, that uh, Peter gave credence to it in the New Testament and, and Acts. We saw that in Acts one sixteen, where he said, "Hey, this was by the, the Holy Spirit was moved in, in Peter. It was spoken by the mouth of, or spoken by the mouth of David." Well, in Second Samuel chapter number twenty three, verse number two, the Bible says this: "The Spirit of the Lord spoke, spake by me." This is David speaking. He spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Okay, so David says, listen, the words that I'm speaking are by God. They're from God. They're from the Lord. All right, it's, it's not me. Jesus further demonstrated the divine authorship of David in Mark chapter number 12. So flip over to the, the New Testament. We have, we have Jesus giving certification. That's a pretty good certification. Mark chapter number 12. In fact, it doesn't get any better than, than Jesus putting a stamp of approval on something. All right, Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12, verse number 36 says this, For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So David says 
or Jesus says, David spoke by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost inspired him to say these things. He, he, was, he spoke by uh, the Holy Spirit. And so, I mean, how much power that gives to it. Jesus gives a final demonstration uh, of the Old Testament canon in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. And this, was, this is a key one. Flip over to Luke chapter number 24. As we think about the Old Testament canon, again, from the lips of Jesus, what, what books should we be looking at? What books should we be reading from? Well, Luke chapter number 24, uh, and Jesus himself tells us which books fit into the Old Testament canons, which one we should actually listen to. In Luke chapter 24, verse number, four, 20, uh, verse number 44, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written. Now here it is. The law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. So does that mean that, that he's, okay, in, in the books of Moses, okay, so we know the first five books of the Bible. We, we would understand that, okay? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses. The prophets... Okay, well, who is this talking about? Well, we've got a number of prophets that we have in the, in the Bible. Uh, there's, there's a number of them that, that we can go through and we can look and see who were, were prophets of God, that were, that were used by God. And, and you can look and see, all the way from the minor prophets to the major prophets, uh, some of them before Psalms and, and Proverbs, some after Psalms and Proverbs, all these different books are the major prophets of the Old Testament that we find prophets. And then the Psalms, what that is a reference to is poetry, books of poetry. What are the books of poetry? Well, we know that the books such as Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, some of these books are considered poetry type books. And so Jesus himself uh, gives his own canon of the Old Testament scriptures in Luke chapter 24, verse number 44. All right, we're going to keep on going here and uh, keep this going as quick as we can. Man, this, may, this is longer than what I planned, but that's okay. No, we're, we'll wrap this up here in a minute. All right, criteria for New Testament canon. Criteria for New Testament canon. Apostolicity. Uh, was it written by an apostle or a close associate? Catholicity, now this isn't talking about the Catholic Church. Catholicity is just talking about church approved is, is basically what that means. Was it universally accepted by the churches? Did the churches accept that? Okay. Uh, consistency. Is it in unity with the rest of scriptures? That's key. It has to be in unity with the rest of scriptures. Uh, that's one of the amazing parts about scripture. Uh, the, 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 one of the amazing parts about the, the New Testament, and, and specifically the Gospels, is you have four different perspectives of the same events, and yet they all come into continuity and they agree with one another. They're different perspectives of situations, and sometimes you get details in one that the other one doesn't give, but they all work together with consistency. And then finally, authority. Is there a spiritual tone to the writing? Okay, is there, some, is there a spiritual tone to what's being said and what's being written? Peter attributes the New Testament writing to divine authorship in 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. And we'll mention these and keep on, keep on rolling so we can finish up this part. 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 2 says this, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He says, listen, it's not just, you need to give heed to the commandments of the prophets, but you also need to give heed to the commandments that were given to you by the apostles as well. Uh, the apostles being those that saw uh, the Lord Jesus. Okay, So we see 
canonicity, and finally, uh, no, we got two more. We're almost through. Uh, next, uh, because I wanted to end in the same three letters, uh, verification. Okay, verification is this next one. Verification, often call, called God's veracity. It simply means this. God is true and his word is absolute truth. Um, we can be confident that God's word is true. Um, now, it, what, th- th- this is key because in the Bible, there are lies. In the Bible, there are mistakes. Not mistakes of the Bible, but there's mistakes recorded of people that made mistakes. Okay? So, I mean, like, it, but it's recorded accurately, the mistakes that they made. Uh, that's the key. The lies that were told are recorded accurately. Everything that's in the Bible is true. Okay? It's accurate. It's right. Uh, there, there, there aren't mistakes uh, in, in, in God's word. Okay? So, Psalm 12, verse number 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. It doesn't mean seven different revisions to make it a perfect text. What it means is it's just perfect. God's word is perfect. Um, it, it's, it is without error, and it is, it is, uh, God's word is, is perfect. Proverbs chapter number 30, verse number 5. Every word of God is pure. In Psalm chapter number, that's uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Psalm chapter 119, verse number 140. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. And then in Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. This book is true, which leads us to our final point, illumination. Illumination. When man understands the truth and acts upon it. This is the key, because God's word has a purpose. It's, it's to change our lives. It's to mold us. And so we have illumination. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and uh, we'll, we'll jump over there real quick, actually. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and then I'll just mention these last couple of verses. But 2 Timothy chapter number 3, I think it's an important one for us to actually see. Paul talks about this. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 15. We've already mentioned verse number 16, but the verses around it are, are vital as well. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 15, he says this, And that from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. What are they? Well, they're able to make you wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or, or complete, thoroughly furnished, prepared unto all good works. God's Word is powerful and has the, the, the ability and the power to enable us to live this life for Him. In Psalm 119, verse number 18, he says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And in verse number 133, the same chapel, order, chapter, Order my steps in thy word, and let not iniquity have dominion over me. And then in John 16, 13, it says, Howbeit how when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, what is he going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. What is God's word? It's truth. It's truth. Our response to the illumination of the truths of God's word should be obedience. Should be to change those things. We should lay aside our preconceived ideas and notions and receive the scriptures and their commands. And so tonight, after going through all of these terms uh, that are very important, but sometimes we get bogged down by them, what, what do we take away from it? We'll pray tonight that as you read the scriptures, 
that he will illuminate his word and help us to have a willing heart to respond to it. Because that's what the scriptures, that's what God desires for us to do. Not only as we saw there in verse number 15 in 2 Timothy 3, where he says, you know, it's made wise into salvation, but not only that, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness, for correction. It's, it's to, to help us to navigate our life so that we're, we're living our life in accordance to God's word in a way that's pleasing and honoring to him. And so tonight, that's, that's the way we're going to finish up for, for tonight. We're, we'll finish up the terms. Next week, we will dive into, uh, Lord willing, the subject of translation. We'll talk about that some. And uh, that'll be an interesting one. It'll be one, it's a hot topic, but it'll be a good one to dive into. We'll talk about that. And, and like I said, I don't know if we'll do it next week or the week after, but uh, we'll dive into um, uh, possibly uh, translating ourselves some of the Bible. Into uh, uh, and, and see how that goes. It'll be fun. We, I got to do that when I was in Bible college, and it was, it was awesome. And so it'll be good. You'll get to see what they actually had to go through. To it, it, only it'll be way easier for us because we'll have, we'll have all the resources and things. All right.